0: Welcome to The Nicholas Detali Show, where we chat with entrepreneurs, experts, and entertainers to help you live a more fulfilling life. This week on the podcast, we have Tyler Foley. Tyler has been acting in film and television since he was six years old and is an accomplished film and stage performer. He has appeared in productions including Freddy vs. Jason, Door to Door, Carrie, and the musical Ragtime. Tyler is passionate about helping others confidently take the stage and impact an audience with their stories and is the author of the number one best-selling book, The Power to Speak Naked. If you like freebies, go to nicholasdetali.com slash news and sign up for my email newsletter. I periodically send out self-development and business goodies. This episode was mixed and mastered by Grant Singer. If you'd like Grant to audio engineer your podcast or music, click the link in the show notes or reach out to him on Instagram at Grant E. Singer. That was the intro. Now here is the episode. Hello and welcome. This is the Nicholas Itali show. I'm your host, Nicholas Itali. Today we have a very special guest, Tyler Foley. Tyler, seasons greetings.
1: Oh, of course, Nick. It's so good to be
0: here. I've been looking forward to this. You have no idea. Wow, I'm pumped. I'm I'm thankful to have you here, and I want to I want to dive in. We're going straight straight to it. You just wrote a book, The Power to Speak Naked. What are some of the most powerful or some of your favorite anecdotes that are coming out of this book that you just wrote?
1: Well, my absolute favorite one and the one that the reason I wrote it is that everybody has a story and that your story matters. Um, the most important thing I think I write in the book is that the thing that you're afraid to say is very likely the thing that your audience needs to hear. Uh, there is a transformative power to story. And when we share our experiences, we have the ability to not only change the world, but heal the world. So that uh, if I could give you one soundbite, that would be it right there.
0: That's a great one. And honestly, I, I resonate with that idea that sometimes we don't think our own story is powerful enough. There was a time where I feel like I had accomplished the best thing I've ever hoped to accomplish in my life. And then I was like, yeah, but nobody cares. And then I didn't tell anybody for two weeks. I just kept this big accomplishment under, under the table or whatever, under the blanket and nobody ever knew. So I, I'm with you there. How do we go from
1: changing the mindset? Oh, well, so first of all, it's recognizing that we're all going through this. We're on this big blue marble spinning through space together at the same time. There is a universality around what we're doing. And although we may struggle with unique circumstances to our specific story, right? Um, maybe, you know, my uh, a good friend of mine who might as well be a sister uh, has MS. And her specific circumstances around um, learning of her diagnosis and what she's doing around that is unique because nobody else would have gone through that. But she's not the only person on the planet who has multiple sclerosis or, you know, any other thing. Somebody who has gone through divorce. Those are specific things. Somebody who has achieved some great high successes one of my favorite things that i've done is be valedictorian of my university but i'm not the only one to have become a valedictorian but my circumstances on how i did are unique and when we share these stories we have the ability to connect with the people who need to hear that and So that's where the power comes from. That's why sharing it is so important and getting it out there so that we can, can make real lasting, impacting change.
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely important to, it's, it's tough because it's like hard to see ourselves as unique sometimes, you know, it's hard to see ourselves as like, if somebody else shares the same thing, what's the difference between me and them? So what would you say, what's your, what's your, what's your hot take for getting rid of insecurities when it comes to telling our story because everybody's got them. We're full of them. Whether we're going to be upfront about it or not, we got them. And I'm
1: so glad that you pointed that out because we all have a story. We all have a story. And when somebody, and I know exactly what you mean, right? My story isn't important because somebody else did this, right? I've achieved this amount of success, but somebody else has done more than me, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have this diagnosis, but somebody else is suffering worse. Than me, and all that right there. We can always go to an extreme. There's always somebody who has done something bigger, better, stronger, badder, and there's always somebody who is worse off and couldn't do you know, couldn't get any lower. But it doesn't change the fact that there are thousands, if not millions, of people who are in similar circumstances who probably are asking themselves, What do I do? Mm. and you having gone through a similar experience, not the same, but similar, have the ability then to guide somebody, even if it's just one person. And I always tell people, think of what you would tell yourself five years ago.
0: Mm. Speak
1: to you five years ago, because that's all you need to do. Help yourself in the past reach out and tell that person what you needed to hear. And if you only make one person's life better, is that not an accomplishment? I would say that's perfect. If you can multiply it hundreds of or thousands or even millions of times, great. But if you just change one person's trajectory, that is truly living.
0: Yeah. It, ma- it makes everything worth it. It's almost like vulnerability breeds that sort of impact that we often kind of neglect, uh, which is, which is unfortunate, but it's so worthwhile. Uh, I think I, I me, I've been meeting people recently who have been saying things like, uh, like that have really good stories. Like I like will talk to them and be like, wow, how do you not see how good your story is? But then they go on to say, I'm just not a compelling storyteller in general. How do I how do I even make it sound cool or good? Like not that it has to be, but what what takes a compelling story?
1: The interesting thing about a compelling story is a really good, well-told story has a point. So Les Brown says it really famously, never make a point without a story, but never tell a story without a point. So you want to know, first of all, why are you telling that story? Is it to educate? Is it to entertain? Is it to provide insight? Is it to change somebody's mind? Is it to... Uh, support a point or is it to counter a point why are you telling that story and then one of the the fun little techniques that i use is remember you're not the hero of the story Mm. and i know it sounds weird because it's my story of course i'm the hero yeah But there's a a Joseph Campbell put together a very famous model called the hero's journey. And it's what George Lucas literally ripped off step for step for step to create the original Star Wars. And when you do the hero's journey, there's various phases. So it starts off with a hero being unaware or in a state of stasis. And then there is some kind of event or um, trigger that throws them into chaos. Then they meet the mentor or the sage who guides them through a series of trials until they learn the ultimate lesson that they need to and overcome the final villain. And it goes back to you know Greek mythology and the Odyssey and Homer's Iliad and all of that stuff. It's this method, if you look at it, it doesn't matter the story that's been told. The really good ones follow this similar arc. And so everybody wants to be the hero. Mm-hmm. But if you want to tell a really compelling story, you actually are not the hero. You're the sage. So Mm. in the Star Wars context, you are not Luke Skywalker. You're actually Obi-Wan Kenobi. Wow. And because you want to talk to the younger you, the Luke Skywalker, and you want to say, look, this is the knowledge. You are a Jedi like your father before you, and I'm going to show you the ways of the force. Because I'm going to go full into this analogy at this point. <laughs> yeah, you got to. <laughs> yeah, right? And by embracing that, by saying, I'm going to take you on this journey, and I'm going to show you and give you the lessons that I needed. You become the mentor. But you tell the story you know, of when you learned that. And when you when it becomes more about your audience and less about you, the more impactful it will be because your audience will be on your side. Because you are putting them in your shoes. And so there's going to be more empathy, more understanding, and you are providing them a service as opposed to making it me, 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 me. It's you, 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 you. And that's when you have a really impactful story. Man, I'm curious if you
0: experienced this in your acting career too, or like use that selfless mentality because when I think of like public speaking, it's to serve other people. Like it's to bring value to others, but there's always a tendency to put all of the pressure on ourselves. And I guess that goes for any occupation, right? Like Mm -hmm. our, our jobs are meant to solve problems or to serve a people group, yet the pressure we put on ourselves is always so immense. Like I have to perform so well because it's for me, right? It's not for to give. And I, I I think that's tough. Is there, is there any anything practical we can do to um, like maybe start viewing this as a sense of service than a sense of like, I got to be the guy. I have to be the hero. I want to be the hero instead of the sage.
1: Well, and it's funny that you, you actually use the word service because one of the things that I learned uh, early on in business from a great mentor of mine who unfortunately uh, has graduated, mm. um, Bernie Dorman. And he, he always said less about me, more about thee. and what he was saying in that is how can I be of service to you? So he had this incredible flip on the traditional networking. And when you would go to one of his networking events, you didn't take business cards. You never, you weren't handing them out. You weren't saying, this is me, this is me, this is me. You would go and you would introduce yourself. Hi, my name's Tyler. Um, you know, I'm a speaker and coach. How can I be of service? Mm. You know, and you just, you ask people, you know, what do what are you struggling with right now? And the key to it is active listening. So you're not, you're not trying to pitch your service. Like I'm not here to pitch my book or my coaching or anything like that. I'm here to provide value. So you and I had a conversation prior to recording mm-hmm. so and then you did a ton of research by the way nicholas i couldn't <laughs> you're probably the best host as far as research goes i can't believe the deep dive that you did into the well of sean tyler foley but we'll get to that <laughs> Appreciate that. um but right you how can i be of service to you what do you need so your audience needs to be entertained and we want wow. i hopefully i'm doing a good job hello listener i hope you are enjoying this conversation yeah. <laughs> um, but when I go to a networking event, I'm not first thing I ask is, Hi, what do you do and how can I be of service? What, do, what are you currently mm-hmm. looking for? What is your need? What problem do you need solved? Because I may not be able to directly solve that issue. But in true networking, mm-hmm. you are putting people together into your network. So you may need a guest who's a stuntman. And I can say, Oh, well, yeah. a good friend of mine, John, would be a really good fit for you. Let me introduce you to him. Right. Or I need, you know, I want to talk to somebody who does this. Oh, well, I, I know these people and reach out to them. And I spend most of my day connecting people. And by doing that, I am of service. I may not solve the problem directly, but I'm doing it tertiary. And because I'm still being the solution, I'm front of mind. So that when somebody does need something, you know, they're like, oh, I've got this presentation and I'm terrified. Help me get over stage fright. They know to come to me because, hey, look, you did the thing and you're top of mind
0: for them. You know what else is kind of cool about that, too, is I feel like maybe this is just pseudo psychology. Who knows if it's real? I'm going off the top of the dome here. I feel like when you provide a service for someone like in the initial meeting and the initial like, hey, I'm on your team, you know, I'm not looking to get something for you. I'm I'm on your team. It creates a, a deeper relationship than if you came into the relationship saying, What are you going to do for me? What do you got for me? Right. And I honestly think that's what turns connections into friends, which really, for me, that's what I kind of look for. Like, I want to be working with and collaborating with people that I like, that I can be friends with. And it doesn't have to be centered around work. It's got to be more than that. There has to be more. So I think it's a great strategy.
1: It takes away the tally too, mm. right? Like I, I'm not doing things looking for to build up a favor bank. Although I am always of a mentality that it's always nice to be owed a favor as to owe a favor, <laughs> yeah,
0: right? That's true. I don't want
1: to I don't want to be the guy who keeps asking you to come over and helping me move my apartment. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I'd rather yeah. be the guy who is collecting the beer and pizza at the end of the day. So yeah. I, it just I, I it's just, it's a service mentality and it's a different thing. And the other um, bit of advice that I got from Bernie and I use it in all aspects of life. And I used, I, I knew it inherently in my heart when I was acting, but it really came to light when Bernie had said it. And that is when you go into any kind of networking or um, business relationship, you are looking for strategic partners. I'm not, I'm never looking for a client. Um, I'm not looking for, um, you know, connections. I'm looking for strategic business partners, people who are aligned with me who want to help see my vision grow. And if you go in with that in mind, it really changes the dynamic of what you're doing as far as networking goes, um, any kind of relationship. How can I build us together? Because if you succeed, I succeed.
0: That's a great point. And I think you just came out of one of those sessions where it's like accountability and brainstorming. I asked my friend recently, I said, hey, would you be interested in setting up like a specific 30 minute to one hour time block during the month where we just talked goals and figured out how we could help each other achieve them? I feel like that's like game changer 101. Having a team or like a team of friends, even if they're not directly contributing to your thing, they're pushing you and making sure you have the resources to succeed. What more could you ask for? Talk about strategic partner right there.
1: You laid it out. Well, and, and it, like you said, it's ha- it's the accountability too. So it's one thing to be meeting with people who are going to be cheerleaders for you. That's great. Yeah. But you also need people who are going to say, hey, so did you do that thing? Well, why not? <laughs> you know, I'm I i I'm blessed in that I, I am, as you had mentioned, in a, in a great mastermind, the Speak and Grow Rich Founders Group. And um, Gail Kingsbury, who is my, Agent and confidant and just really good friend put it together, and we have you know some incredible minds come through that amazing uh, speakers, businessmen, uh, just it's it's top notch. And we meet once a month and we spitball ideas and we support each other. But outside of that, I have a weekly meetup uh, with a, a small group of friends just outside of town in a beautiful. Property too. My friend Carrie runs a um, an a really amazing venue called the Gathering Ranch, and we go there every Monday for a couple of hours. And um, currently, doing it a little bit virtually, but when we mm-hmm. can, we meet and we yeah. sit in the kitchen and we eat food and we say what what needs to be accomplished this week for you to accomplish your goal. And so you, Nicholas, tell us this is what I'm doing, and we go okay, great. And then Monday. We meet up again, and how did we do this week? What were our wins? Yeah. Uh, what were our fails? What do we need to do to change it? And so, knowing that every week I have to show up in front of the same people, and when I say I'm going to do a thing, I'm going to be on 100 podcasts in the next three months. Well, now Ooh. I've got to track it and do the metrics, right? So, how are we doing? Let's let's get the count, and you know, you go, okay. Well, I'm on 59. So. Yeah, forty one to go. Yeah, chipping your way there.
0: <laughs> that's yeah. That's that's really good, especially if you're having proof to show them. It's ironing, sharpening iron, iron sharpening. Iron. I think that's the quote. Yeah. But what I want to flip to, a little segue here. I wanna wanna have a question about current day, but then I want to go to two thousand two, two thousand four. Are you out of retirement from acting? Did you come out of retirement recently?
1: <clears throat> yes, I did. So I have my agent Roxanne is ugh, relentless and phenomenal, and <laughs> there there's a lot, a big, huge boom in the film industry right where I am right now. Um, uh, they, uh, it's exponential. How much film and television is going on here and so she reached out and said listen you know we've got a lot going on and so yeah you will see that i did retire nicely at 25 and was happy to have stepped away from uh performance i, I dabbled here and there in a couple of amateur things right friends who would phone or um a, a really good friend of mine maren burnham who is juno nominated uh and, yeah she's a really really phenomenal playwright and composer had put together a musical so i did you know i've done some workshopping stuff with her and i did one of her musicals last year just for giggles but Mm -hmm. um yeah my agent really started pushing it and she was like let's let's get you out there and do some things so the imdb credits are starting to tick up again and (laughs) i i wouldn't say i'm out of retirement but i'm definitely not um i'm not not in film (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> You're dipping your toes back in
0: the water. You're just checking to see if it's warm.
1: Yeah, just checking.
0: Let's talk 2002-2004. Seems like a wild time. Very, very productive years in your acting career. I mean, I know you went to a, a high school of the fine arts. You were in theater doing all those things, but how did you start landing those bigger gigs? Like Those are fairly big productions, you know, Freddie versus Jason and all that stuff.
1: Well, so again, service mentality. I would... Uh, Freddy versus Jason was a funny one because I got that just by being um, in the right place at the right time with the right attitude. Uh, the casting director uh, needed to fill a role literally last minute. They, no uh, they had changed. Uh, I don't know if they had adopted the script or if they, they wanted to do a something. And the director, Ronnie Yu, he, he, he had this vision and he was like, I'm going to do this thing. And I had been working as a stand-in on the show, mm. and um, and then I did a little bit of photo doubling on that show as well, and just being around the crew that you know helped out on a couple of the stunts because I knew the stunt uh, coordinator, and then so I just they they just asked they're like hey do you want to do this thing, and I'm like yeah of course like let me <laughs> let me be Absolutely. there so I just you know I I I just fit the bill for that one but a lot of the roles that i got in there it was you know they it's such an old adage but it's so true there's no small parts there's just small actors Mm. and i i learned that really early on because i was in theater when i was six years old and you you hear it all the time and you know finding out what that actually means because i've been guilty of being the small actor where i've been like no i just you know day player single line or what is this yeah and then when you realize that there are so few people in the world who get to do what i got to do and even fewer who actually got to make a living of it like those you talk about my productive years 2002 to 2004 that paid for my university you know like and that that is something that i i will treasure in forever because i got to do just cool things you know i got to i got to be on set with william h macy and at uh, the same time
0: uh tell me about william h macy my goodness what was it like did you jam with him in a trailer is that is that something that i found is that true you,
1: that is that is 100 percent true so at the time of filming it was a uh movie called door-to-door and it was a bioptic on a gentleman by the name of uh, bill porter who had cerebral palsy and was the top watkins door-to-door salesman for years and years and years and years really incredible story and tragically we lost bill uh, a few years back but um he was uh he was a, a real inspirational person and so uh william h macy the other bill Mm -hmm. learned of his story while he was still alive and decided that he wanted to do this um this movie on him so he got the rights to it and uh director bill schachter uh got together with him and they they made this incredible production but at the time of it bill was learning to play guitar and and just, you know, sitting like we were on in makeup together because his makeup was extensive. They did a lot of prosthetics with him and really well too, because you know you know it to see it, but you you're like, ah, what did they do? Because they just did such the makeup team on that project was just incredible. But he spent a long time in the trailer. And so I was in getting my makeup. He's getting in and out of makeup, because they had to age him from young Bill to old Bill, or vice versa. Yeah. And uh, we were just chit-chatting. and He's like, so what do you do for fun? I'm like, ah, you know, I, I like to ski, I like to goaltend, play drums. You know, he's like, oh, you're a drummer? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, I'll I'll just, I've just learned to play guitar. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. I love guitar. There's nothing better than a good jam. He's like, would you want to jam? I'm like, <gasps> do, we, do we, do we even have a kit here? Yeah, and there and where we were filming right beside it was a music store so he was like i think we can get that so we got just not a big kit but i just you know a little i got a hi-hat and a snare drum and a kick and i think maybe a tom and so i just mm-hmm. sat around and we you know we played like fulsome prison blues and stuff like that like just you know just fiddling around so that he could practice and I could play. <laughs> and and it was the greatest experience of my life because it was a small role. Mm-hmm. I don't even think I had enough lines to be considered a principal performer. I think it was still an actor role. So under eight lines. Wow. But when I showed up to set, the only actors on set, so when you get what the call sheet, which is basically who's on set, who's playing today, and who's actually been cast, there were only three yeah. people on the call sheet for my scene. Helen Murren, William H. Macy, and me and so i got what's called a double wide so it's the the big trailer like i got a trailer normally you're in the honey wagon it's little sick banks of six rooms that are just slightly smaller than a prison cell and you just kind (laughs) of sit on the cot like that and the wardrobe comes and gives you your your uh clothes your costume for the day and you put them on and then a pa comes and knocks on your door you waddle out of it you go this one had a full kitchen like no it, it had couches it had a bedroom I, my girlfriend was there a buddy of mine matt was on set he's a, a phenomenal producer now um in new york and uh yeah, we just were we were hanging out, and yeah, he came in, and so we had a jam because we had the room for it. That was the thing. That was the bit that yeah. blew my mind. I was in a trailer large enough that I had the room that I could jam with <laughs> William H. Macy in my trailer. It was it was a great time. I absolutely loved it.
0: That is amazing. That's one of those stories that it's like how how did you happen to be right next to a music store? How did you happen to get the perfect size trailer? All those things just rolled together perfectly. Better
1: yet, fast forward six months later, and. Uh, Helen Mirren got nominated for the Golden Globes yeah. uh, for her performance in it, and guess what scene they used? No. When you know how they show the scenes, <laughs> so it's her and me having this little Ooh. spat over ketchup in the diner, and it it was hilarious because of my phone. Like they they showed the clip, and then like my phone just off the hook. I have like. <laughs> missed calls and messages and i i got more pr out of that show than anything else on the planet it was great it definitely stroked my ego made me feel like a movie star yeah
0: that's amazing i mean you were you were you were jamming with some of the best out there that's crazy so what was your did you have any like um did you have any like desire to hit The A-list at that time was fame on your mind or was it more about the craft? What is going on? This is Nicholas Italian. here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of two people that you believe would benefit the most from hearing this episode. Send this episode to them with an encouraging note being like, hey, I thought of you because of this, this, and this. And then send them this episode, trying to slide in DMs. What's better than a thoughtful podcast in the DMs? Nothing. Not only will you be helping the podcast expand to help more individuals live fulfilling lives, but you'll be adding value you to the lives of the people you care about most it would mean the world to me if you did it all right back to the episode
1: it was more about the craft like i remember there was a time when i was going through school where i was like i want to be i want my name in lights i want people to know who i am you know i want to i want the million dollars i remember uh picking up a copy of the dilbert future by scott Mm -hmm. adams and in the back of it, like it's all the Dilbert comics, right? And you're like, ha ha ha, funny, yeah. funny, funny, funny. And then in the back, there's no comics. The last chapter of the Dilbert Future is Scott Adams talking about his affirmation process, and you know, writing down what you want and being specific. And I remember for a time, my affirmation was, "I, Sean Tyler Foley, will be cast in the lead role of a successful syndicated television series." Like that mm-hmm. was that was to me that was going to be right. I wanted to be on, basically I wanted to be, um, gray on gray's anatomy, right? Like, like to, to, to have an entire show centered around you or, or Felicity, right. I don't know why they all have to be female characters, but they're the ones that come to mind. (laughs) And so it was just, you know, that was, that was the pinnacle for me. I wanted to be, I wanted to have that recurring gig. And then I actually got to be, on some shows like that as a day player and see the hell that those guys go through. And I was like, no, you know what? I'm good. I'm (laughs) Sure. They're making a lot of money, but they work hard for that money. And I don't think people realize that, um, something like Ellen Pompeo on Grey's anatomy, she's doing 14 to 16 hour days, six days a week on an eight month commitment. Yep. Like, yeah you get the four months off but you need that to recover your body's hard like and you're and constantly memorizing sides and scripts like when you have like i get a day player script and it's you know a single two two pages maybe yeah Yeah. right that's it right the top to bottom that's all i have to do i can do that but they're going through 10 12 pages of dialogue minimum a day and you're like It took me three weeks to memorize these four lines. (laughs) What are you talking about?
0: Exactly. Yeah, that's what I always think about too. Those scripts are extensive. Like, sometimes I've talked to like some of my friends that are very skilled at memorizing scripts, like, they'll memorize like a five pager in you know four hours or whatever it may be. And Mm -hmm. I don't get it, I don't understand how you do it because there's maybe it's my I'm putting the emotion into it already, but there's so much that has to go into just memorizing those lines it's fascinating
1: you know and there is there's a, a real process to it i okay, pro tip you guys want to know deep in if you want to learn a, a, a any kind of dialogue if you need to memorize something um, i don't do it the same way now when i was younger i used like a dictaphone like one of those older recorders, but now i just use my phone and you, uh-huh. you run the lines blah 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 and then i repeat them in the shower drives my wife crazy because i'll be in i have the thing cranked because I've need, yeah. i need to hear it over the water but then you're just running lines because there's 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 a thing about when you know something so intrinsically in your fibers mm-hmm. of your being that you can shampoo your hair and still say the words you know you've got it memorized and so yeah. i just i just record it and i do the shower and the shower and the do the things and and off i go and it just it it's it's how I've always done it, and I, I remember it was it always seemed like a weird pickup line because uh, you get what you you call them readers, right? Somebody who's going to come and yeah. read your sides, and. I'm I'm completely shameless, as you know from the title of the book, The Power to Speak Naked. Like I have no sense of decency. (laughs) I would have people over and I'd be like, hey man, can you read my lines? And they'd be like, Yeah. And it didn't matter, guy or girl. I'd be like, cool, I'm just gonna hop in the shower. So just leave the door open and we'll just right. And I would hop in the shower and they'd be like, What are you doing? I'm like, just run the lines with me for me, right? And I'd be like shouting over the water and they're like, I'm not doing this. I'm like, just come on, help me out. I'm a friend, do this thing for me. Crazy. This is my strategy. This is, is this is what it takes. And it worked. Oh, it worked.
0: That's awesome. I heard I hear that uh pharrell also has a similar strategy to you if it's any consolation like he also gets all of his best ideas in the shower. So, hey, yeah.
1: it could be could be something that is scientifically proven to work. You I would, I would love to do the study because I'm betting and I take cold showers too. So, you oxygenate oh, your blood, right? And so you just right so you're charged up and you can do it so again, it 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 becomes that you get into a complete state of discomfort, and yeah. you you can't help but know it. So what if you you know if you can confidently run lines, freezing cold and shampooing your hair, when you get out, all of a sudden it frees you to do all the rest of it. And as you pointed out, start to put in the emotion or start to find the things. The other thing that I do, um, not just acting. So if I'm working with my clients and we're working mm-hmm. on a, on you know a, a keynote presentation or a talk or a speech. I have them run it and I go through the three basic emotions. So you're happy, anger, and sad. Mm-hmm. And so we'll just say the lines over and over again, but we'll do them really happy. And you're going to do this thing really happy. Then you're going to do it really loud, as big as you possibly can and then you're going to do it sad. And you just, you purposely interject emotion regardless of whether or not it's the appropriate emotion for that point. But what's curious is we always think that we're supposed to be this one thing. Yeah. But the reality is in everyday life there's a reason we say people who laugh at a funeral, right? Or cry at a wedding. Yeah. These yeah. are these where our emotions never make sense and sometimes we're triggered by something and we will laugh at an inappropriate time. And yeah. so I love doing it because you find the humanity in some of the lines just by falsely putting stuff in and, and by having it memorized and locked into your head, now you have the freedom to play and and find what is outside of the norm.
0: Yeah. And I was going to say playing with it is probably one of the biggest things that you can do. If you go into a, you know what I always felt was some of the detriments to my biggest presentations, not that I had any big ones or anything, but I always felt that I would memorize it in a way where I felt like if I didn't say it that way, it was wrong.
1: So when you play rhythm,
0: Yeah. So when you play with it, like big, angry, big, happy or whatever, it frees that limitation that, oh, I, if I didn't say it like that, I'm done for the rest of the presentation. I screwed it all up when that's never the case,
1: right? No. And the great thing about presentations is nobody knows what you're going to say until you say it. So that's, that's one of the reasons why one of the big tenets that I put in the book. And what I talk about often is don't memorize a speech. Mm Mm-hmm memorize ideas or concepts and better if you can tell them in story because nobody knows your story better than you so you can't get lost in a story right when i i tell that william h macy story as much as i can because it's fun to brag (laughs) Um, but i never tell it the same way and i remember little details every once in a while and i'm like oh yeah and we did this thing like oh and we played that song or yeah these were the people that were there or like you know different circumstances of it and so in each telling it's different even though it's the same story and i can never be faulted for it because nobody knows it better than me i was there yeah. even bill doesn't know it better than me because he was there and i was here so his yeah. version of the story was like yeah there was this weird kid that was in my makeup trailer and he kept going on about <laughs> music so just to you know humor him i went and played guitar with him he seemed yeah. to like it i don't know <laughs> <laughs> whatever yeah. his version is, is is different and so when we tell a story we know it better than anyone else. And then you're not locked into this is the specific word and the rhythm that I get into. Because that's the thing. Like You know people who have memorized a script because they get what I call um, speaker uh, speaker cadence.
0: right? Yeah, their voice. So now
1: I've got to say this thing. And I have this voice like this. And because I'm saying it in the way that I have remembered, I'm actually putting in comma, all the punctuation, comma, that I put into my speech. Period. Uh, oh. Just tell me your story, man. Just tell me yeah. your story, and you're fine.
0: It's very hard to relate when um you're being spoken to by a robot. It's very it takes the yeah. personal personal aspect out of the conversation for sure.
1: Well, and even when you put in you know in fluctuations and you put in different cadences into it, you're still. It's still when you get locked into words, there's still a rhythm to it. So. I know for me, because I've had to memorize so many different lines over the course of my life, that I have to be very conscious of it. One of the best examples of it, um, have you ever seen the movie Waiting for Guffman? No. Hit me. Oh, okay. So first of all, Eugene Levy is a genius in it. And it's it's from the same producer uh, or same uh, folks that did um, Spinal Tap and Best in Show. It's that same group of people. Okay, and so it's all improv and filmed like it's a documentary, but it's fictional. And in Waiting for Guffman, it's this regional community theater play that the director thinks this Guffman who is a New York theater critic is coming to the show. That he's agreed to come and rate the show, and they're, they think they're going to go on to Broadway. And it's just this little small community theater. But why everybody, I encourage everyone in your audience right now, as you're listening to this, you, yes, you, I'm talking to you sitting there in your car listening to this podcast right now, go get Waiting for Guffman and then watch Eugene Levy, because the way that he nails the cadence of a community theater actor. And how far it was, I could not tell. It's just <laughs> genius. Oh my God, because it's so true. And I make every one of my coaching clients watch this film just so that they can see exactly what I'm talking about. I'm like, don't fall into that trap because you don't want to sound like that. It's, a, it's the thing not to do.
0: Yeah, and it's so uh, it's so tempting to though too. You know, there's some comfort in that cadence. I'm not going to lie. There's very, it's a very, I can fall into it. And this is my crutch. I can just yeah. stick
1: to this. This is fine yeah yeah it's like uh what's his name in hitch kevin james right this is your wheelhouse man this is where you're gonna <laughs> right dance here. you don't you're right here this is where you stay this is where you stay don't move right and all kevin wants to do is break out yeah and do the jig right but no you got to stay here stay here because this is what's safe and and comfortable
0: yeah we always want to break out i got another question for you another question flip-flopping here january 1st 1997 mm-hmm you mm-hmm. had some sort of mini stroke or stroke of some sorts and i yep. as i do want to know about the hardships that that brought on but what i i want to know also i also want to know about dr bob corbett and dr joanne corbett because they seemed like they helped mold your mindset into something that was like something that you've taken with you for the rest of your life. And I want to know how they
1: did that. Well, I mean, I, I'm so blessed to have the Corbett's in my life and furthermore too. So one more shout out, since we're going to do the doctors Corbett, their children, Vanda and Jason are two of the greatest human beings on the planet. Both doctors themselves. Wow. Dr. Vanda Corbett is also a DOC, doctor of chiropractic, and Jason is the black sheep of the family because he just has his measly PhD and a doctorate in law. So, so <laughs> we have Great three real it. doctors and a faker. And uh, <laughs> but they are, they are some of the most incredible human beings I've ever met. Vanda, because of her parents, had uh, a bucket list of a hundred when she was she wrote it out when she was fourteen because she was diagnosed uh, i can't remember with what, but she was basically you know either not supposed to walk or not even supposed to live past eighteen and and her wow. parents were like well you don't we're going to find a, better solutions to that and so she had uh, this bucket list when she was fourteen or fifteen, and by the time she was twenty three or twenty four had mm-hmm. knocked off ninety nine of the hundred. The 100th, by the way, was to see Michael Jackson in concert. She had wow. tickets to his performance at the O Arena, and then he passed away. So to no fault of her own, she would have knocked off every one, um, but, but couldn't because of circumstances beyond her control, which was another incredible lesson, right? We have all these things, but wow. we need to understand that we can only control our actions. And those are all lessons that I got from the Corbett's. So... I, I was lucky to have them in my life at what felt like a time of crisis. Because at 17, my whole life was laid out in front of me. I knew exactly what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was going to be an actor. I was at a fine arts high school. I was going to go to New York, LA, Toronto, Vancouver, somewhere. I was going to make it big. Name and lights. Movie star. And I was going to have my own TV show. And then I woke up new year's day 1997 and half of my body didn't work and it was weird because i remember not fully appreciating that that was happening because i kind of you know i'd woken up and i thought i'd slept weird and Mm -hmm. i'd kind of gotten tried to stumble up the stairs and my mom was like how much did you drink last night i'm like i didn't drink because i don't drink and (laughs) i didn't drink you know but you know like i'm moving weird and then and so i was brushing my teeth And this, I couldn't keep the toothpaste in my mouth. It was just pouring out the side of my face. And my mom looked at me, she goes, Tyler, what's wrong? And I was like, I don't know. And, you know, I couldn't move anything. And that's when we realized, and she, she kind of put two to two together and she was like, okay, we need to get this looked at and we need to look at it now. And, you know, tons of different appointments and doctors and specialists And nobody is really actually quite sure what happened, whether it was a palsy or a stroke or a mini stroke or just some unexplained medical event. Mm. Best guess is a mini stroke. Mm. Um, It's just based on the symptoms and how it came. Although uh, recently, both my mother and my niece have had spouts of Bell's palsy. So it could have been a form of Bell's palsy that self-corrected. And that could be hereditary, but we're not, again, we don't know. We're not sure. Right. And those tests were years and years and years ago now. But I remember waking up and thinking my life was over. Like it was, it was tragic. Yeah. And if it weren't for Bob and Joanne being like, well, you know, you don't know what it is. We don't know what it is, but these are the things that we could do. Like let instead mm-hmm. of focusing on the things that you can't do, let's focus on the things that you can do. Can yeah. you still use the right side of your body? yes. Okay. Well, that means that you still have neurological function somehow. You've got yeah. stuff firing this way. How do we retrain this way? And, and Joe did some incredible research. I got to do laser acupuncture, regular acupuncture, massage therapy, physiotherapy. Um, I, did chiropractic work, obviously, with those two. Um and then you know, traditional medicines, we were researching, you know, different medications that could work on neurofunction and homeopathic stuff that would work on neurofunction. And you know, just I was just on this regimen and I and they worked on mindset. Like, what can you what can you control? Work on what you control and then find the metrics. You know, if I could only walk five paces, well tomorrow we're going to try for six. And then when I get to six, then we push to seven, you know, work yeah. on what you can and work and know what you're working towards. I think having a clear set goal and then just, and just them being generally positive people like Bob's a, a, a Mason and a chiropractor and a self-development guru, like all of mm-hmm. those things led him to understanding the realities of mindset and self improvement and that you can only control the things that you like I can only control me and and as soon as I understood that and and again it was a great blessing because I carried that through into the acting because then every day I was on set was a gift because I I almost didn't have it ever and so then I had this appreciation and I think that led you had asked earlier what led to the success and I think that 2002-2004 period was such a success for me because I was so grateful every time that I got on set that I let everybody know. Like, I would mm. thank casting directors. I would send them gifts or cards just to say thank you for, for seeing me, whether I wow. got the role or not. My agent, every time my agent got me an audition, I would say thank you because wow. they don't have to submit you, especially yeah. when I'm one of 40 different people that look exactly like me, right? Right yeah like you don't have to submit me but you did thank you for taking that chance I appreciate it and the more the more gratitude that I had going into these roles the bigger opportunities that I got yeah, and I you know I got to do really cool things and it was just fun that's such a great
0: great takeaway the gratitude thing because it's so I don't I don't know how else to explain it but like now that I, I reflect on my own life, gratitude has been the highest point of my life or was when I was the most grateful, you know? And half of that is perspective, right? Like, I have more now than I did then, but I was way more grateful then, which, yeah. you know what I mean? It's 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 all backwards, yeah. but it all plays into the, the success of things.
1: Well, it's that Cheryl Crow line, right? Secret's not mm-hmm. having what you want, it's wanting what you have. And yeah. it, it, you... you As soon, like honestly, when you get that, when it clicks, it's amazing the doors that open up, and and I've used that successfully through most of my life. And as you pointed out, the periods where I've been like, "Mm -mm," that's when things tend to go wrong for me.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) when I get
1: this sense of entitlement, or or when I am not grateful for what I have. Um, they, they, the universe tends to listen to that, you know, and mm-hmm. well, Hey, you, you, you're not happy with, with your life right now. Well, let's see if we turn it upside down, how happy you are now, <laughs> yeah.
0: Mr. Foley enjoy. <laughs> and Even worse, even worse. Yeah. All right. Another question, another mm-hmm. question, banging them out, talking mm-hmm. about faith here. You could skip to February 5th if you'd like, if that's mm-hmm. the best case, if it's not, but I feel like a, a theme in your life has somewhat been faith and hope like you have a mini stroke and with this gratitude like there has to be faith that there is something on the other side right there and you go into acting which is like the most faith based career I almost (laughs) feel like you have to have faith that something's gonna happen for you where does it come from how did you how do you hold on to to faith that things are gonna get better
1: uh so it's not faith that things are gonna get better so first of all I want to really clarify that i don't think that things are going to get better because i never think that they're bad good uh things are what they are and how our perception of those things we are going to associate good or bad to them and so i understand and tony robbins says it way better than i ever could life happens for us not to us Mm -hmm. our job as humans on this planet is to figure out the divinity in the situations that happen. I'm not saying that everything that happens is good or bad. I'm not even saying that they're justified or warranted, but these things happen to us for a reason. You know, my father passed away when I was six years old, very suddenly, very tragically in a car accident. My life would be drastically different right now if he were still alive. Not necessarily for the better, not necessarily for the worse. it would just be different. And you you look at those chain events in your life, and the things that happen. I don't know that I would have had the drive and the desire and the push to really make it as an actor if I hadn't had my stroke, because it made it made me have a goal. Mm-hmm. And on top of it, I lost my role in the musical that I was doing that year. And the director came to me and said, "Well, you you can't you can't dance, yeah. so you can't be in a musical. Like we need you to sing, dance, and act, and that's not a good luck for you." Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like he and that pushed me because then he was telling me that, well, I didn't you're not going to graduate if you don't do this show. So you're going to have to come back and do another show. You're not ready to be an actor. I'm like, are you kidding? I've been acting since I was six. Not ready to be an actor. An actor is an actor. The minute they decide they're an actor. What makes them a good actor is continuing to do it and work on their craft. But Mm -hmm. you are an actor. You think you're an actor. You're an actor. Right, mm-hmm. and that, and then that was the other lesson that I learned too. Now, a lot of people want to fake it till they make it, or you know, I, I hear that all the time. Right, if you can see it, you can be it. Screw that, <sighs> be it, and then you will see the results. Don't, mm. don't see that you are going to be an actor and reach for this goal, and and t- right, no, I'm an actor. I'm yeah. an author. Before I ever wrote the book, one of the first things I did when I decided that I wanted to write the book was I changed my um, LinkedIn and it said, Sean Tyler Foley. And I put author Yeah. consultant, blah, 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 I put author right up front. I hadn't written the book yet. I wasn't technical. And then, and then it's funny because I, I did it. I'd made that commitment and I say this all the time. Well, I, ha- I wasn't an author yet, but I actually was because back in like junior high, I actually wrote a couple of poems, and they got published in this anthology. So I was actually technically a published oh, wow. author, right? Yeah, and wow. It wasn't until I looked back at it, being like, oh, I guess I wasn't lying, but I'm not lying. I am an author, right? Yeah. It's like when Da Vinci talked about um, making the statue David, right? And they said, well, how do you turn the marble? into the statue he's like well the statue was always in there i just had to chip away the bits that to get, weren't yeah. needed right I, I yeah i may be this rough block of marble but inside is the statue david i just need to start honing my skill and chipping away i'm that block of marble was always the statue it was yeah. always the statue and as soon as you realize that it's it's incredibly freeing that if you want to be a thing you have to believe that you are the thing before it will you'll ever see the results of that and so from the stroke To what you're referencing, uh, February 5th, 2015, Uh, I was was stuck in this 9-to-5 job. I really hated the 9-to-5 job. I was telling Mm -hmm. the universe how I hated the 9-to-5 job. And guess what happened? February 5th, 2015, my boss came in and said, Tyler, we're going to have to let you go. We're doing layoffs. And I was the first of like four rounds of layoffs, which again is a blessing. I at least got to be first. The rest of the people had to sit in paranoia for the next six to eight months going, am I going to be next? And worrying about every time they got a calendar appointment with their manager. At least I was blindsided and I was freed of it. And I got a severance that I instantaneously went, okay, well, how do I better myself? Right? Like what, what do I do? And it gave me the freedom to pursue the entrepreneurial dream that I'd always had. Like I always wanted to have my company, and be my company because my uncle ran his own firm. Um, my, uh, a really good mentor in my life uh, ran his own business. Like, I, and my best friend is, runs his own business as an electrician. Like, I have so many people who are entrepreneurial. I wanted yeah. it too. I want to control yeah. my own destiny. And I can. So I did.
0: I love that. You capitalize on the opportunity that, that fell into your lap. Which mm-hmm. is actually, there's actually, a, there's something to be said about viewing that as the opportunity rather than viewing that as the woe is me, right? Like there is a whole flip side of you that is going into a downward spiral because of that instead of using the severance for your advantage.
1: You had said faith, right? What, yeah. is, what is your faith? And that, that has always been my belief. You know, my wife and I say it over and over and over again. Everything happens for a reason. There, ha- there is divinity in all these things that happen in our life. And by the way, getting laid off February 5th, 2015 sucked because that's my wife's birthday. Uh, it was her 30th birthday. <laughs> so that sucks. We were at that point three months pregnant and were six months into our dream home that we had basically sunk all of our finances into and was very much dependent on us both earning a six figure income. So within a matter of four months from the February 5th date, we now had a five-year-old child. I was unemployed and my wife was on mat leave and we went, we had an 87% reduction in our earnings that year. Wow. So (sighs) that, you know, but did that put a little bit of motivation into me? Because I don't know that I would have been as motivated as an entrepreneur if I didn't have two mouths to feed and a house to pay for. Yeah. You know, that, that has been a driving and motivating factor. So, and would, yeah, we could have had it, but again, gratitude. Would I have been thankful for those things? Mm. Even would I have recognized the gift that it was to have my child and a house that I own and a wife who loves and supports me no matter what. And I put that woman through a lot, (laughs) (laughs) right? Hey, Wanna hear my new crazy idea this today? Like it's not even this week, right? Or this month. It's today. This hour. Do you wanna know what I'm chasing today? And she just you know, I, I'm blessed to have her support. The poor woman. She she deserves a humanitarian award. One day on Mother's Day was not enough. And she didn't even get flowers. Poor woman. She'll
0: get she'll get plenty to come, I'm sure. I'm sure the flowers oh, yeah. are gonna be raining it.
1: I spoil her when I can.
0: We are approaching the final question of the podcast. You made it Tyler. Before we do the final question, I want to say, thanks for coming on and sharing your story. My goodness. So much fun. You, you, you brought so much valuable information that I've just, I feel like I've just been reflecting the whole time of how I can apply the things that you're saying into my own life. I'm already reevaluating, evaluating how I can do gratitude and be more faithful. Not like as in relationally, but as in, as a person Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, um, I really appreciate how how you're using your story to have impact on other people. I think that's super admirable. So thank you for coming on the show and doing that. Appreciate that. No, it's my pleasure. Sweet. So the final question of the podcast is, what fulfills you now? What makes your life fulfilling after having so many experiences that you have?
1: Uh, To be honest, being able to see the impact that my instruction has on other people's lives. So I have this one gift right? And I can't really do a lot with it. I look good and I sound good when I speak. And, uh, you know, I could, I could be in film and TV still, but what I enjoy is empowering other people to tell their powerful stories. I know um, I, I have seen the ripple effect of when people talk about their most vulnerable and deepest, darkest secrets. A good friend of mine is a financial advisor, sells insurance, and for a very long time was um, locked into a very destructive cycle of dependency and addiction and mental illness that drove him to multiple suicide attempts. And the one day that he just about got it right, he, uh, he was actually saved by his two children, who at the time were very young. And they phoned 911 and, and, and he, he distinctly remembers a lucid point within all of that because he was very disoriented with the cocktail of chemicals in his system, thinking to himself, please don't have, let this happen in front of my kids. Don't yeah. let this be the day that I got it right. And he has told that story numerous times, but I remember speaking with him at an event called Life by Design. And he shared that story on the final day. And there was a woman in the audience who was listening, who had um, laid out very specifically her plan for ending her life the following day. She, was, she had gotten the ticket for free and was just attending to be polite and was going to nicely dispose of herself and, and rid the world of the burden that was her uh, on the Monday. And my friend told his story And she decided to reach out for help that day, starting with him. And she got the the resources that she needed. And she came back to Life by Design the next year and told her story about how she was impacted. And oddly enough, three people in that room were struggling with similar thoughts and came to her and said, could you please help us because we're in a pretty dark place right now. And that's the power of story and why I believe so strongly in empowering people to tell their story because it has real impact. If you can say, I've overcome this, and it doesn't have to be tragic. These are the successes that I've had in my life, and I want to share it with you so that you can uh, feel similar successes. These are the adversities that I've overcome, and I don't want you to feel that you're alone. And to be able to powerfully communicate that, it is so important. And so what fulfills me is being able to empower people to tell those stories because that's how I have impact. That's how I have change is helping other people have impact and change the world.
0: That's amazing. And it's exponential. Like you said, Mm -hmm. keeps going and going and going. It's just a matter of telling, telling your story. Tyler, how can people connect with you on the internet? How can people get in touch if they want some of your, some of your services and stuff like that?
1: Well, the best way to reach me is through my website, com, and Sean is spelled the proper Irish way, S-E-A-N, <laughs> T Y L E R F O L E Y. So Sean Tyler Foley.com and any of your listeners who want, I have a free download, um, right on the main landing page. You can't miss it. It's called the method. Uh, you can click on that and it has, it's an 11 page document has five insider secrets that I've learned over 35 years of public speaking to help you kind of get over your nerves, master the art of storytelling, learn some tips and techniques to memorizing scripts if you need to. And, and just generally be a more confident speaker so i would i would and tell your story better so i would encourage everybody com. download the method for free it's it's my gift to your audience and hopefully i can help them in some way however i can be of service they just need to reach out
0: sweet and all of those links well that link and all of your social media links and all that stuff is going to be in the show notes so go check them out and then go connect with tyler and say hello just say hi to him just say just something say hi. right yeah please do well Tyler, thanks for being on the podcast. I'll see you next time. Thanks, Nick. Bye. That was the episode. You just listened to it. Uploads every Friday at 6 a.m. Next week on the podcast, we're going to have Scott Miller. Scott Miller is capping a 25-year career where he served as a chief marketing officer and executive vice president of business development. Trust me, you're not going to want to miss this episode next week. You're just not going to want to. You're just going to want to tune in, all right? Don't forget to leave a five-star review and to share this episode with your homies. I love you. See you next week. Bye.